Good morning, everybody. My name is Phil Thomas, um, and I've been coming to Allgate Baptist for 12 years or so. Um, and when Craig rang me about a week ago and asked me to speak on 1 Corinthians 10, I was happy to accept that I warned him I haven't had any recent preaching experience. So you'll have to excuse me if at times I'm a little bit shaky. I was walking around the block when, took, when I took Craig's call, so it wasn't until I got home and reread 1 Corinthians 10 that I realised it is quite long and covers a variety of topics. The longest part of the text, text refers to the issue of liberty. In a nutshell, what the believer can eat or drink without stumbling others. Nick covered this subject admirably two weeks ago. So I thought I might cover the other more salient points in the passage this morning, particularly the first few verses. To present an exposition on the whole text would not be possible within the constraints of time. And I've always thought if I was ever asked to speak at Allgate, my overarching principle would be to say something that encourages, edifies, and that would have to be personal, close to my heart, and practical. There's enough of the other stuff currently going on in the world to offer the absolute opposite of encouragement. I also made a pledge some time ago that if I was ever given the chance to speak, I would make reference to Case de Bruin, whom I'm sure most of you would know. Case died in September 2018, and after I first started coming to Allgate, he made a point of visiting me regularly for a coffee when I worked in the city. Nothing was ever too much trouble for Case, and he had a pastoral heart that was full of genuine care and love. Case had some rare gifts and could undertake difficult ministries like visiting inmates in prison. He had a compassion which saw past the darkness of their criminal record and went fearlessly to the heart of the individual, reminding them of God's love and forgiveness within the confines of their imprisonment. Case bravely made his way to his long-awaited appointment with Jesus in heaven after a long battle with cancer, always with his beloved wife Christine close at his side. I wanted to acknowledge Case and say thank you for I for one am all the better for knowing him. And I got, I got Christine's permission. This morning, therefore, I'd like to um, firstly read the first uh, few verses from 1 Corinthians 10. And during, the, uh, during this, um, my talk, I want to talk about the spiritual rock followed uh, children of Israel. Um, I want to talk ta about taking ownership of that personal foundation of the rock in our lives. I want to talk about our own unique gospel and practical acts of faith and love, exercising discernment and God placing our feet firmly on the rock of Christ. So I'll just uh, read the first few verses from 1 Corinthians 10. For I do not want you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers and sisters, that our ancestors were all under the cloud and that they all passed through the sea. 
They were all baptised into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. They all ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them, and that rock was Christ. Our spiritual ancestors were all under the cloud and they all passed through the sea. It's something that we may not think of so much as a reference to ourselves, but more the nation of Israel as they were delivered from Pharaoh and his army as the waters parted and they crossed through the Red Sea. However, its application, of course, is equally about us as believers. We were delivered from our own Egypt by a powerful combination of the mighty hand of God's protection and by his outstretched arm intervening in our lives. Deuteronomy 4, 34 illustrates this beautifully. Has any God ever tried take, to take for himself one nation out of another nation by testing, by signs and wonders, by war, by a mighty hand and an outstretched arm? or by great and awesome deeds, like all the things the Lord your God did for you in Egypt before your very eyes. You were shown these things so that you might know that the Lord is God. Beside him there is no other. A mighty hand and an outstretched arm. I'm sure we all know what that's like when God comes into our lives. Around the age of 20, I personally came under conviction about how lost I was feeling and how much I needed a sense of meaning and purpose. I didn't understand at the time that it was God who was moving by his spirit. And looking back later after I'd become a Christian, it was only then that I appreciated how powerfully he had moved in my life. The rock that accompanied them in the wilderness was not just an inert geological mass, spiritual rock and that rock was Christ. All three persons of the Godhead, Father, Son and Holy Spirit were very active and present in the rescue of God's people out of the clutches of Egypt. God was separating a nation to himself through which despite their failings and disobedience he would eventually fulfill his eternal purposes of salvation and bring about the birth of a Messiah. The rock that accompanied them is the same rock that David spoke of in Psalm 18. Psalm 18, verse 1. I love you, Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my deliverer. My God is my rock, in whom I take refuge. My shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. It is very moving that David's preface in verse 1 is... I love you, Lord, my strength. Psalm 18 was to prove a foundational text throughout David's life when he sought comfort and strength from the Lord at the times of his greatest need and has been passed on to countless generations like ourselves of believers to provide the same. When I was a boy of nine in 1962, I travelled with my family in a car and caravan, in a convoy with my cousins to central Australia along what at the time was a very corrugated, unsealed highway. During the break I was talking to a few people 
that experienced that unsealed road back in those early days. It was a long trip with a lot of bone shaking from the relentless corrugations along the way. But it was with great anticipation that we counted off the days before we arrived at the highlight of the trip, Uluru, or as it was then more commonly called, Hare's Rock. If ever a rock was spiritual, then Uluru has to be right up there. Our first sighting was magical. From a long distance away, the rock seemed to be rising like a giant leviathan from the horizon. The colour, unearthly and hard to describe, like pink and purple ochre combined. You know what I mean if you've been there. It would disappear out of sight as the road dipped between the sand dunes, only to rise again on the next sighting with yet another subtle change in colour and form. Finally, we arrived at our campsite, which in those days was unregulated and we were camped in close proximity to the rock. No sooner had the car stopped and all the children ran excitedly to be the first to touch the rock, which rose dramatically and vertically from the surrounding plain. As a young boy, of course, I knew I was experiencing something unique and special. Holding onto the rock, I could feel so many things. How massive, how immovable, how ancient, and full of wonder. The following day, we walked around its full perimeter and then, as you could at that time, climbed to the top, gazing out to the Olgas, now Katajuta, and taking in the wonderful panoramic view of Central Australia. Strength and power of the rock since that early visit has never left me. I've always found it very interesting that God has placed a spiritual rock in the centre of Australia that has proved to be such a place of strength and wonder to current and previous generations, and particularly to its traditional Aboriginal owners. I'm sure we can all testify of that spiritual rock of Jesus that always accompanies us in our journey. I think it's critical to take personal ownership of that foundational rock of Christ in our lives. A few years ago, I was introduced to some podcasts by a speaker called Mike Wells, by a family friend called Nigel Eaton, who goes to the Verdun Church, who I'm sure a number of you would know. Mike died a few years ago, but he left a legacy in ministering to Christians who were struggling or discouraged, a situation most of us find ourselves in at some point. Mike broke down the Christian faith into what he called simple foundations and strongly encourage believers to be honest about their present condition, put aside any pretenses and take personal ownership of their true identity in Jesus. During my teenage years, before I'd met my wife Stephanie, I moved in a circle of friends. My cousin went to a girls' college and I went to an all-boys' college. So it was a convenient way for us to share mutual friends and for the boys to meet other girls, etc. We used to visit each other's homes and sit around talking while listening to music albums like Blues Alone by John Mayall, Blondon Blonde by Bob Dylan, am I going too far back here? <laughs> or maybe some Joni Mitchell. Those were the days in the 60s. We particularly used to discuss films, music and books. Slightly more obscure European films like Blow Up by Antonioni, 
The Seventh Seal by Ingmar Bergman. The Leopard by Visconti. Full of symbolism and meaning below the surface, which apparently only people in the know could understand. <laughs> and book like, uh, books like Catcher in the Rye by J.D. Salinger. The Loved One by Evelyn Waugh or Dr. Zhivago by Boris Pasternak. All pretty serious stuff back in the 60s. I confess that I was probably a year younger than my friends and trying to punch above my weight in terms of my actual maturity and life experience. Sometimes I had to even pretend that I'd watched the film or read the book, or worse still, pretend that I understood the deep symbolism or themes. Such is the fear of potential embarrassment that can arise when trying not to appear uninformed in front of your peers. However, I was cast an unexpected lifeline by the mother of one of my friends, with whom, even as a teenager, I felt comfortable confiding in. At the time, I was listening with her to one of Bach's Brandenburg concertos and told her how much I loved the music and how it personally resonated with me. She told me that the most important thing with art, music, literature <coughs> was, <excuse> me, <coughs> was that very thing. You must feel and love it personally for yourself and not be at all concerned about what other people think. That was a turning point for me. So after that, there was no more pretense with my peers and I learnt to enjoy and love the books, music and films which I really did understand and which found a personal home within me. I find it's the same foundation, I find it's the same with your foundation in Christ. It has to be something that is unique and personal, not built around peers or borrowing someone else's foundation. It has to stand on its own because that's what you build your life on, your choice of partner, the people you associate with, your choice of career, your values, your lifestyle and choices, your perspective on how you live your earthly life in view of your eternal heavenly life which awaits you, how you conduct yourself in front of your family and other people in general. Your foundation is everything. Matthew 7 and 24. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Rain came down, streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house. Yet it did not fall, because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. Another subject that Mike Wells spoke of was the importance of presenting your own unique gospel. That is what will speak to people in, an, in a way that they feel that you're not preaching to them. It's your personal story that carries the impact rather than something you borrow from someone else or give as a prescription gospel. 
Of course, there is only one true gospel at the heart of things, but there are many gospel stories. There's a health food shop that I visit from time to time, and some months ago I was speaking to the shop assistant, whom I've got to know over time. She was expounding the virtues of some of the health products combined with a variety of healthy food diets and pressing home the point that this would lead to longer, healthier lives. I said I was very impressed, but of course, age eventually catches up to you and you have to take care of your body as well as your spiritual well-being. She then replied that she wasn't into religion and so I said, uh, yes, no, I'm not into religion either. Uh, I'm not into religion either. But if God reveals himself to you personally, then it's something that makes you take notice. She then asked, why, what happened to you? So I thought, well, I can't let this opportunity go by. So I told her how as a young man under a cloud of intense darkness and oppression, I had knelt down in a paddock, surrounded only by a herd of cows quietly feeding on their pasture, and asked if God would hear me and that if he was a personal God and not just a supreme being somewhere out in the universe, could he please come down and help me? I then told her how the terrible weight that was on my shoulders had immediately lifted and that I had undeniably experienced the power of a personal God intervening in my life. And from that time forward, I'd never been quite the same. I didn't go on to say then about, because I only found out about Pilgrim's Progress after I became a Christian, but you might remember the picture of Pilgrim carrying that bag of dirt on his shoulders, looking extremely burdened. And uh, in, that was exactly what, the way that I looked. I find it amazing how much speaking the truth of what we carry in our hearts affirms our faith tenfold. Presenting our gospel story is as much a witness of what we are attesting to ourselves as it is to the person we're speaking to. Thinking about it later, there was nothing offensive in what I'd said because it was my personal story that I could share with passion because it meant so much to me. She, of course, went a, a bit quiet after I'd told her, as did the other customers who were by now standing around us, but received my story with respect. I figured that all you need to sow is a seed. The rest is in God's hands. I often fumble around if I'm presenting a more formal gospel. But somehow a personal story seems to flow because you know it so well. In our gospel story, we need the words and importantly, we need the practical acts of faith and love. When I first saw the film Dursu Yuzala, has anyone seen Dursu Yuzala? No. Okay. It's a good film. It's a film made by the Japanese director Akira Kurosawa, who did Seven Samurai and a few other films, and won an Oscar for the best um, foreign film in 1976. It's based on a true story about a Goldie hunter who lives in the Siberian wilderness and meets with Arseniev, a Russian surveyor, who has been commissioned to survey the region of forest where Dursu nomadically lives. Dursu shows Arseniev and his soldiers who travel with him amazing bushcraft 
and a great feeling for the animals and birds that share the forest. On one occasion they come across a small hut in the heart of the forest which is used periodically by other hunters and travellers. Dershu, while the soldiers are frolicking around outside, proceeds to gather some large slabs of bark and patches up any holes on the walls of the hut. He then asks Captain Arseniev for some rice and matches and upon inquiry from the captain as to why he had requested them, he explains, Capitan, Capitan, when a hungry traveller is passing by and requires shelter from a storm, he will come into the hut and find food and dry matches and wood so he can make a fire and eat and be comfortable. The captain and his soldiers were intrigued that Dershu would provide for an unknown visitor to the hut who in future may find himself in a desperate situation exposed to the wind and the snow and seeking shelter. Dershu, from his own experience in the forest, knew that sometimes food, shelter and a fire could save a traveller from starvation and freezing in the Siberian winter. It occurred to me when I saw this film that this is what we do every time. We give freely and generously with kindness and love normally invisibly and quietly before God, not attracting the attention of other people, but with a word or deed of kindness, irrespective of whether it is reciprocated with a word of gratitude. Sometimes we enter that hut in complete faith and leave the food and matches all wrapped in dry bark on a day or at a time when looking from the outside it doesn't make a lot of sense until the storm comes in people's lives and seeking shelter, they realise somebody does care for them and has been thinking and praying for them. Acts of unwarranted kindness are very powerful gospel messages. When I think back in my own life before I was a Christian, I would make fun of people presenting the gospel to me. In my ignorance, I had no understanding of what a Christian was at the heart of things. My prejudices against religion believed that I only saw hypocrisy, but of course I was completely blind and uninitiated to the core values and meaning of life. The things, though, that did stick in my mind when I reflected on my earlier unsaved condition in life were the acts of kindness that had been shown by people who I later realised must have been Christians when I probably least served or should not have expected any kindness. The breaks they gave me at critical times in my life. As an aside, can I briefly talk on the subject of discernment? Exercising discernment in our Christian lives, I think, is critical. You may recall the story of Abigail intervening to prevent David and his men from committing unnecessary carnage against Nabal and his household. David acted hastily, and it was, the, it was only the swift response by Abigail saved the day. Abigail acted with true discernment, and in her prophetic acclaim of David, showed how she understood God's anointing to raise him up as Israel's true king at a time when Saul was menaced and oppressed by an evil spirit that compelled him uncontrollably to try and wipe David off the surface of the earth. Ab Abigail gave a wonderful prophecy concerning David. 
1 Samuel 25, please forgive your servant's presumption. The Lord your God will certainly make a lasting dynasty for my Lord. Because you fight the Lord's battles and no wrongdoing will be found in you as long as you live. Even though someone is pursuing you to take your life, the life of my Lord will be bound securely in the bundle of the living by the Lord your God. But the lives of your enemies he will hurl away as from the pocket of a sling. If you ever want to hear a prophecy of discernment, it's what Abigail says about David. David was deeply moved and in verse 32 he says, Praise, David said to Abigail, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, who has sent you today to meet me. May you be blessed for your good judgment, or as it says in some translations, discernment, and for keeping me from bloodshed this day and from avenging myself with my own hands. We need to pray for discernment to ensure we are moving along God's path and not something that we have contrived on our own. There are so many things that demand our attention, many of them easily justifiable and good in themselves, but it's important that we go back to the rock of our lives and make sure our activities, the things we commit to, our lifestyle, line up with our simple foundations. From time to time, I've experienced an unexplainable fear in my life, a deep conviction that makes me feel that things aren't right. My normal go-to place is self-examination before God. Is there anything that I'm doing which is wrong or not pleasing to God? And seeking him in prayer for forgiveness and refreshment of my spirit. When nothing appears to be knowingly out of order, even after seeking God, it can be a perplexing mystery as to why I'm still experiencing this spiritual heaviness and sense of wasteland displacement in my life. I don't know whether anyone else has ever experienced that. There was a particular period about 20 years ago when this happened to me, and I strongly felt the need to attend a church service every night on the way home from work. Not an easy thing to do in Adelaide, find a church service every night. At that time, there was an evening prayer service held at St Peter's Cathedral in the Lady Chapel at the back of the cathedral. It was conducted by the cathedral rector and prayers would be said and there would be reading from the Bible. Normally, I was the only person present, so I would say to the rector, please don't run the service just for me, to which he replied that even if I wasn't there, he would still conduct the service. I well remember at the time the readings were mainly from Exodus and even when he was reading passages from the law it was, if, it was as if every word was directed personally towards me. Something deeply in my spirit, not always in sync with my mind, <clears throat> was deriving nurture and encouragement from the spoken word of God. Being a bit rusty on Anglican liturgy, I didn't always know the correct responses as the rector read out the prayers, but he kindly also replied on my behalf. The Lady Chapel is a very special place. You'll know what I mean if you've ever visited there. There are only a few rows of pews that give it a very 
intimate feeling. And as you sit facing the back of the cathedral, you look towards the large blocks of sandstone, which I understand were quarried from somewhere near Murray Bridge, above which are these very high stained glass windows depicting Bible stories and characters which sweep towards the arching roof vault. Very majestic and inspiring, and you feel very strongly the presence of believers that have been there before praying in that same place from previous generations. All in all, it's an experience I'll always remember. Being grounded in Christ and being brought out from the pit to stand upon the rock. The Lord proved himself faithful, for which I will ever praise him. Psalm 40, uh, verse 1. I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me and heard my cry. He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and mire. He set my feet on a rock and gave me a firm place to stand. He put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see and fear the Lord and put their trust in him. It also made me affirm the great promise that we read later in the Corinthians passage. 1 Corinthians 10 and 13. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. If we ever feel oppressed or confused and in darkness, we know it is a strange thing that we're going through. It's important that we ask other believers that we trust to pray with us and over us. We have to drop our defences or reservations and simply ask for prayer. All believers need this from time to time. Pastors, elders, leaders, young and old alike. It is a witness to the heavens that we are all in agreement, are praying for our brother or sister who may be concerned and struggling. Remember God hears when we pray to him. The Lord is my rock, my fortress and my deliverer. My God is my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. He reached down from on high and took hold of me. He drew me out of deep waters. He brought me out into a spacious place. He rescued me because he delighted in me. Just like the children of Israel, we as a community of believers all eat the same spiritual food and drink the same spiritual drink. That's exactly what we do when we take communion and we do it so beautifully here at Allgate. I think everyone just so quietly, so in reverence, goes forward and partakes of the elements. I always find that a very moving time when we have communion together. Well, we all drink from and stand upon the firmness of the same spiritual rock that accompanies us, accompanies us, and that rock is Christ. So really, my main message this morning was that we all are drinking from the spiritual rock, which is Christ, who followed the children of Israel and who follows us. I wanted to talk about taking personal ownership of 
that foundation in our lives because it is that foundation that we build our values and we build everything on and we build our, our lives when we're waiting to go to Christ in heaven. I want to talk about our unique gospel. We've all got a beautiful personal story which everyone should hear. It's a personal gospel. I want to talk about the practical acts of faith and love that are really so important in the way that they then take part in people's lives. And the importance of exercising discernment, praying for discernment. God will give us discernment when we pray for it because it's so important. And God placing our feet firmly on the rock of Christ. Just wonder if we could close in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you this morning that we've been able to talk about the rock of Christ. Thank you, Lord, that you provide a foundation, you provide a way through Jesus so that we can have that foundation, so that we can set our lives according to your design, according to your plan, according to everything that you've purposed for us. Uh, it's so wonderful when we think that that is something that you, you've always had for us, even before we knew you. Please, Lord, may your blessing be upon us um, individually and as a community. And may your blessing be upon our families. And may you prove, the pre may we know the presence of Christ close to us in these, today and in this coming week, we pray for Jesus' sake. Amen. You've been listening to a sermon from Hills Baptist Church. To find out more or to hear other great content, find us at hillsbaptist.com or on your podcast app. 